Hello and welcome to another Cork and Taylor Wine Podcast. Luke Taylor here back. I know it's been a little bit of a while. It's been a little bit hectic, but we are back and um, we got someone special. Just remember to uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, follow us on Instagram, like us, uh, give us a thumbs up. That only helps us and it only takes a couple minutes out of your time. And if you want to support us some more so you can get me back to wine country so you can do some more interviews, uh, join us at www.patreon.com backslash Cork and Taylor. So one of my favorite wineries, I'm fortunate I get to sell it. We've pretty much had everybody um, on the podcast from Matera. So we've got uh, Brian Kunat. We've got the man, the myth, the legend, world famous in parts of Japan. And uh, McKendry, Illinois. So, Brian, welcome to the Cork and Taylor Wine Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me today. Well, I didn't have anybody else. I, you were the only person that was in the car with me. So, oh, I saw that big line of people outside your door. <laughs> I, I assumed that they were all waiting to come in here to be part of the podcast. <laughs> I think you're looking at the wrong, yeah, wrong, uh, wrong, uh, wrong office. So, mm-hmm. so you got into wine kind of in an interesting way. You didn't really grow up with wine, did you? No, I didn't. Uh, you know, I the part of the Midwest that I grew up in, which is all farm country, um, wine was not something that was a the, the drink, the go-to drink for uh, my parents or the people that were around me. And uh, consequently, most of the wines that I had a chance to experience at a young age were uh, pretty rough stuff. Yeah, and uh, wines that most people wouldn't Fruit drink wine. today. Well, no, they, you know, my mom and dad would buy a bottle of Chianti with the, you know, the big long neck and the the big ball of glass on the bottom. And they would take a couple of glasses out of it, put the cork in it and sit it behind the couch for another six months until they got ready for another <laughs> glass. And that was, you know, my brother and I would sneak a glass of wine out of that thing. And, oh, it was nasty. It was just like vinegar and probably was vinegar. And uh, we just thought that if this is what wine is, we're not interested. So, so that wasn't your epiphany wine. No, not at all. Not no. at all. Not, not that there are some Chianti's I like, but I don't wouldn't like them if they're behind the couch for six months. Oh my God! So how did you get in? How, how, so I mean, I know your background. Obviously, we've uh, worked together for years. How did you get kind of? Where did the dream come of owning a winery or starting a winery in Napa? Uh, it, there's two parts to that dream. Um, I, I did grow up uh, working on a farm and in, in northern Illinois, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I, I kept thinking, you know, when I grew up, I, I want to be a farmer. I just enjoyed being out with the uh, open air and the tractors and the field and the equipment and the, the, the crops and everything. But uh, I got to a point where um, I sat down and I figured out how much money I would need to own my own farm. I didn't want to work for somebody my whole life. And uh, I quickly realized if you weren't a millionaire, you weren't going to be going into the farming business. So I had to make a decision to go out in the real world, get a job, and maybe if life would uh, treat me well, I could come back to farming someday. So that's part of it because obviously growing the grapes, we, we grow all our own grapes for Matera wines. Um, we have about 100 acres of vineyards um, in Napa. And uh, so there is the farming aspect of it. The other part of it came from uh, being introduced to good wines from my father-in-law and mother-in-law in Japan who owned a, and operated a French-German restaurant. And they introduced me to, to first German wines and then eventually French wines and um, really got to appreciate good wine. And if you put those two together, the appreciation for wine and farming, uh, you start looking around at what's out there. You know, Where could I do something like that? 
And uh, one of our trips to Napa is uh, we saw a piece of land and we took it. Yeah. Russ is sort of history. Yeah. Yeah. Are you happy you did it? Very happy. Yeah. Very happy. It's been a lot of work. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It, it is something that takes a, a, a number of years before you could actually say I'm turning a profit. Um, but, uh, yes, I, I very, very much have uh, enjoyed that those experiences that have come along with it, the excitement each year of tasting the wine and after you've seen the grapes growing and you, you, they get finally harvested and they go through the crush and, and working with the winemaker to create something that you really like. And, and uh, again, you hope that the general public enjoys and, and shares it with you, uh, which is kind of fun with a family winery. Mm-hmm. You can you can still do that. Did you buy a physical winery, or was it vineyards? Was it facilities? What what all? I guess what was what was it before? What all was there? Um, we were uh, literally going like most tourists in Napa Valley. We were driving around with another couple, tasting wine, and uh, we went by a sign that said 50 acres of vineyard for sale," and that's exactly what was there: 50 acres of vineyard. Uh, there was no winery, no permits or uh, entitlements for a winery. Um, but we bought the 50 acres. Um, I immediately applied for the use permit to build the, to get the permission to build a winery. Uh, 2007, we bought the land. 2015, we built the winery. And uh, since then... Um, what, what took so long? That's eight years. Uh, with seven years to get the approval. This is California <laughs> we're talking about. Um, the, the land, years to the get land of rules and regulations, uh, uh, it just took forever. And by the way, out of those seven years, no neighbors, no one objected. There was no, no, um, no one against us. It just took that long to get through the bureaucratic system they have set up, um, and that's what it was. Seven years, no opposition, no mm-hmm. nothing. Nope. Wow. So you start in 2007. Did you start? When did you start harvesting? Did, I mean, did you harvest that first year? Did you sell the grapes? Yeah, we closed did, on the property the in August of 2007, and August means that there's a full crop of grapes sitting on there. So we we bought the property with 50 acres of Merlot grapes ready to pick, and I had no buyers. I had nothing. Um, <laughs> so that first year was very interesting. I scrambled quite a bit. Uh, we did sell uh, uh, grapes to Robert Mondavi. Uh, we sold grapes to Franciscan, Duckhorn, um, uh, practically anybody that would buy grapes, we sold grapes because it's a lot of grapes on 50 yeah. acres. And uh, we did keep a little bit. Our first vintage was actually 2007. Um, we made our wine uh, for the first number of years uh, up at the Madrigal Winery. And uh, eventually, um, when they got sold, we moved to uh, Corison, Kathy Corison's yep. winery. And we two years, we made wine there. Uh, while we were waiting for our permit and our our winery to be finished and open, yeah, we actually had Kathy Corson on the podcast. Yeah, it's a neat facility. Yep, yeah, yep. Kathy is. Uh, I I owe a lot to her. Kathy did not have to take us in and allow us to make our wine there, but she did. She was a wonderful uh, host to have us uh, be there with her, and uh, I I I think there's a real mutual respect between uh, Kathy and us, and 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 so on. Yeah, we certainly feel that way. Yeah, so you like her wine, you drink her wine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do absolutely. Have, do you have to pay for it? Um, yes, I have to pay for it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's always a downside. We'll see how much you really like her, <laughs> yeah. huh? It's always a downside. So you buy this vineyard, you start making wine. 
what I mean, did you hire a winemaker? What do, what do you do? Do you get a consulting winemaker? How does it all begin? Yeah, you know, I'm a farmer. I, I um, if I have any talent, it's it's with growing things. I I, I don't I, I know what I like. I know I like good wines. I don't know how to make them. So yes, we had to hire. We hired a full time winemaker and a consulting winemaker. Uh, Mike Trujillo was our consulting winemaker and has been all these years. Uh, um, and uh, they would keep me on the straight and narrow as far as the, the process of the making of the wine. We also hired a vineyard management company um, to to work with the grapes and, and to continue to uh, uh, have that produce the highest quality of grape. It's it's much easier to make a good wine out of a good grape than a bad one. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know people kind of smile when I say that, but it's true. There's a, you can make, you can grow grapes very inexpensively and, and, you know, overcrop it and so on, but you're going to have a hard time making a good wine out of it. Mm -hmm. And so you really need to get a vineyard management company that knows what they're doing. And, um, right now we use, uh, Doug Hill. Um, he's the one that, uh, does our, all of our vineyard management and he's been in it for many, many long, long time. He does a great job. And, and, uh, um, today our, our head winemaker is Chelsea Barrett, who I know has been on your podcast, mm-hmm. but Chelsea comes from a long, many generations of winemakers and, and, uh, uh, wine experts. She grew up in Chateau Montalina. She knows everything about wine from the time she was old enough to recognize what it was. Yeah. And, uh, so she's been fantastic. Um, my son-in-law, who's also our general manager is Harrison Heights from the Heights Cellars. He's also third generation um, wine winemakers and and uh, producers, and he also grew up, you know, literally in the in the wine cellars and uh, spending a tremendous amount of time in that industry. So, and you didn't interview him? No, I did you not. Pretty much just him. give him the job. No, yeah. Did you check his references? I did check his references. Yes, <laughs> your daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, uh, we actually had. We knew the Heights family before we knew that my daughter had an interest in one of their uh, kids. I, I, I really didn't see that one coming, actually. Yeah. And uh, it was really funny. Uh, Nina said that she was dating somebody, and I said, oh, that's great, Nina. Uh, and she said, well, his name is Harry. I said, oh, does he have a last name? No, you don't need to know that right now. <laughs> And it wasn't until Prince Harry much later that I found out that it was uh, uh, Harrison Heights from the Heights Winery, and and of course uh, Harry is a wonderful personality. He's very much down to earth. So so is Chelsea. Um, they're not auspicious or no. you know over the top people. They're just down to earth, and it's yeah. really fun to work with them. Yeah, I still wish you would have given him a formal interview. Yes, that would have we been funny. We joked about that and told him he'd give him two days and then call him in for another second interview. I, 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 he would have played along very nicely. I'm not sure my daughter would have appreciated yeah. it as much, but anyway. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. So you buy this. Now, were you a fan of Merlot? Like, you know, because yes. when, when you think of Napa, you don't think of Merlot. I mean, let's be honest. No, you don't. Um, the uh, two things I can tell you that uh, we. I mentioned we started with German wines, but we ended up pretty much focusing on Bordeaux wines. And we traveled to Bordeaux a number of times with my wife's parents, uh, as well as uh, trips on our own. Mm-hmm. And out of the, the right or the left bank of Bordeaux, we really focused on the right bank. We really enjoyed those wines the best. And, of course, they are predominantly, if not completely, Merlot. And uh, You know Merlot doesn't age. <laughs> 
I You've heard that. You have heard that one before. I have not. No, I yeah, have not. That's what the joke. That someone, a cup, I've heard in Reddit somewhere, Merlot doesn't age. Like we've never heard of Chateau Petrus, then I guess. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, um, it is totally fictitious. Well, yeah. It is. You know, Merlot got a bad rap for a few years there. Maybe some of it was warranted because uh, every every inexpensive uh, bar wine and wine by the gun, they were calling it Merlot. I don't even know if there was actually Merlot grapes in it, but they called it that. <laughs> and so people started to get uh, the thought that maybe Merlot isn't so hot, at least in this country. But reality is uh, Chateau Petrus is a very good example, one of the most expensive wines released every year. It's totally sold out. Um, and it's it's 100% Merlot, so it's mm-hmm. that's how it is. Uh, we bought the when we were buying the property. Oddly enough, there were 50 acres of Merlot grapes planted on it. Um, where we're located in the Oak Knoll district is very very uh, successful for Merlot and also for Chardonnay, and um, we ended up that uh, we weren't disappointed about that because even though I do like a good cab. I also like a good Merlot. Mm-hmm. So uh, after we bought the property, the, the grapes were kind of tired. The vines were tired. We decided to replant. And uh, we did keep a, a very large percentage of Merlot and then added um, a number of other varieties at the same time, mm-hmm. Chardonnay being one of them. Yeah. No Pinot. No Pinot. Yeah. I, I, to be honest with you, if you, if you get a Pinot uh, and they say it was grown in Napa, I'd run as fast as you can. It is. It is definitely not worth drinking. Yeah, uh, it's too hot. In Napa. The the. It's just not the right conditions. Sonoma makes some really good pinots, and some mm-hmm. of the uh, other cooler places in California. But Napa is not one of them. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever think about ripping out all the Merlot and putting in Cabernet? I did. Um, we, we gave a lot of thought to that, a lot of talk about that. Um, but you know what? You have to like. If you don't like what you're making and what you're growing, then you're probably in the wrong business. I like cabs, but I also like cabs that have more, they're more mountain fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the valley floor fruits have a different characteristic. I, I call them lazy, lazy cabs. They, they don't have to work for a living. They just sort of lay there and <laughs> suck up juice. Where the mountain cabs actually have to work. Those roots have to go deep. They're, they're searching for every little bit of moisture and nutrients they can get. And consequently, the the flavors, in my opinion, the flavors from mountain fruits, Howell Mountain, Diamond Mountain, uh, you Spring know, Atlas Mountain, Peak, wherever is, uh, yep. yeah, wherever they're at, they have a different flavor to them, and, and I I appreciate that. So, um, all of our cabs, we make four different cabs that we do source them from uh, mountainous uh, areas. Mm-hmm. You ever thought about making a, a valley floor cab just for shits and giggles, or no? We did uh, in 2011 when the our our main source for a cab that year failed. It did not ripen. Uh, we actually bought um, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon from Rutherford, which was on the valley floor there. Mm-hmm. And and actually, it turned out pretty good. I mean, it, it, it wasn't my favorite, but it, it wasn't bad. Yeah. So we have we have tried it. Yeah, we, we've, you'd have another glass. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, turn it away, but I, I wouldn't necessarily, if I had a choice of buying it versus one of the mountain areas, I'd probably pick the mountain areas. But. Yeah, yeah. So when we were driving uh, to an account before this, I said, you know, what's really interesting about your story is you're definitely new Napa, but you've intertwined old Napa when you had Harry Heights, Chelsea Barrett, uh, third generation seller master. Luis Fuentes, Luis yes. Luis Fuentes. What, what have they kind of brought... 
to the table that you maybe didn't expect they were going to bring bringing those three on board? Um, I would I would have to say the the young thinking aspect of wine drinking. They are a different generation than I am, and um, they can see their generation what what interests their generation. So everything from our, from changing labels to making it more contemporary with today's uh, marketplace. The style of wines uh, are, have been changed slightly again to represent the younger drinkers of wine. Um, I couldn't see that. Uh, you know, I saw what my generation and my parents might have been drinking, but to see what what they're able to, to pick up, I find it very fascinating. Mm-hmm. They're also, because of their age and they're going to school for winemaking um, more, much more recently than some of the older uh, winemakers, they, they have different methods and different angles of, of uh, approaching making wine. Um, again, I, I, I wouldn't have seen that coming, but they've ended up doing such a phenomenal job. Um, when Chelsea started working as our head winemaker, the improvement over our previous wines, which I thought were pretty good, is just, it's amazing. It's just in a whole mm-hmm. other league by itself. And, uh, and she has that knowledge and able to do that. So you're looking for a head winemaker a couple of years ago. I think it was, what, three years ago? 2018, yeah. Two, so, so no, four, four years ago. Four years ago now. How does that How does that search come about, trying to hi- hire a new winemaker? Do you have to look at, like, is there a certain, like, a budget amount? Like, what do you, I guess, what are you looking for, you know, to, when you're replacing a winemaker? Well, you, you, there, there's always there's always a budget. I mean, you have to have some number in mind that you're willing to pay for uh, a good winemaker. Um, we knew what we had been paying for our previous winemaker, so that was a place to start. But um, uh, we actually had let go our, our previous winemaker before I had made a decision on a winemaker. Um, I turned to my son-in-law, lifelong resident of Napa, certainly cued into uh, the yeah, wine industry yep. through Heights and yep. everything. And within uh, within six hours, he called me, and I'd already flown back to to Illinois, uh, and I was down by my pool cleaning the pool when he called. And he said, um, well, I found a winemaker that might be available if you want to talk to her. And I said, oh, who's that? And he said, uh, Chelsea Barrett. I thought to myself, Chelsea Barrett? Is she is she related to Bo Barrett or <laughs> Heidi Barrett? And he said, "Yeah, it's her daughter." Uh, and of course, it, it, she's a little bit younger than than my son-in-law, but not much. Yeah. And they knew each other; they've known each other for many years. And so, of course, I was very excited about the possibilities. I picked up the phone. I talked to her. She was just coming back from maternity leave. Mm-hmm. She was the high, high, head winemaker at Joel Joe Gott yeah. Wines. And um, she misses the free food, she said. <laughs> I think she was looking for a change to be able to be more creative. Mm-hmm. Um, Joel Gott Wines uh, makes uh, basically two very, very good wines, but such in huge quantities yep. that there isn't a, as much uh, ability to use your talents. And I think she was looking for something different. So, anyway, chemistry's lined up, personalities lined up. Uh, she accepted our job, and, and I, I, I couldn't be more happy with how it's all worked out. 
for her as well as for us. I mean, I, I know it's been a fun experience for her and, and for her career, um, and we're just thrilled to death with the quality and yep. having her on and our you team. Can, and you can see it, too. Oh. I mean, it definitely is. Uh, oh, my gosh. You can see it. How, how much influence do you have on on kind of the finished product? I mean, does she look at your style? Does she just look at making the best wine she can make from that given year, from that given yield? I mean, Chelsea has a unique talent uh, to listen to my wife and I about what wines we like and how we like them. And, if, you know, we don't like them too much this way or too much that way. And she's able to listen to us and come out and have us ta- taste and test some of the wines that she's thinking about. And then we can help to decide if, if that's where, where we're happy with it. She really, you know, if, if there's something we don't like, she can fix it. I, again, I'm not a winemaker to know how, how you do all that, but she does. And she's done a very great job with it. When we introduced our, our rosé, um, uh, we had bought, oh gosh, I bet you 20 or 30 bottles of different rosés and critiqued every one of them. You know, we like this, we don't like that, and so on. She listened, she listened, she listened. She came out with an absolute home run uh, making a rosé out of Malbec and Merlot. Not the most common grapes to make rosé out of, and this is an absolute home run wine. And and so Chelsea has a tremendous talent to listen and then act on it. Yeah. Has she kind of been in your ear about maybe ripping some stuff out and putting some different varietals in? Because I feel like that's the younger um, generation. They like to play with their spice rack a little bit more than maybe the yeah, traditional. Yeah, she has already has a tremendous spice rack of the different wines that we have. But um, not so much tearing out, but uh, Chelsea did have the opportunity we had to uh, purchased a 20-acre vineyard that uh, we did tear out because the, the vines were just old and tired when we bought it. And uh, we had her uh, work with our uh, vineyard management company to actually select which grapes to plant there and so on. So she really took a, a first-hand play in that. And then, and she added more uh, more spices of the rack there. Yeah. Just, what did she add? Um, well, we, we're going to be planting Grenache. Uh, we're going to be we're planting some Semillon. Uh, we're gonna. Okay. <laughs> why not? Right? I, why not? Why not? Uh, she has uh, two Spanish varietals. Uh, oh Lord! I think of the names, but uh, Verdejo, Tempranillo, so, Tempranillo yeah. is one of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, we, a little bit. Of, we're doing a little bit more Cab Franc over there. A little bit of Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, but so so she had a chance to really uh, no Zinfandel. No Zinfandel. Just no. mess with Bob Bialy, one of your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, he's down the road from I, us. I, I joke with him that there's Cabernet in his vineyard somewhere. He's like, nope. Yeah. So you steal all the Zinfandel from him. I, I like a good Zin. Yeah. Um, but I think we have enough uh, enough varietals, <laughs> yeah. enough wine yeah. that we're making before we need to add Zinfandel to that mix. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, she's just done a great job, and, and it's been fun. What was the first time meeting her parents like? Well, I had met Bo uh, many, many years ago at Chateau Montalina before I even knew he had kids. Uh, he must have had them at that time, and I just didn't know the kids. Uh, and, and Chelsea obviously must have been very small at the time I met Bo the first time. Um, Heidi, I had also met in, in passing uh, a couple of times uh, over the years, but uh, didn't really get to know her. Um, after Chelsea started working uh, for us, I had a chance to uh, meet her mother. Um, they were living up in uh, Calistoga during one of the big fire outbreaks. And to get out of the smoke and so on, uh, Chelsea asked if she could have her husband and two children move into our guest house at the property. And I said, sure, absolutely, get out of the smoke. 
And then later I got a call saying, can my mom come too? And I said, sure, absolutely, <laughs> go ahead. It became a little bit of a refugee camp for him, but it really was a good decision. To, so where was her dad? Uh, he he stayed up. He was he stayed up in in Calistoga to protect Chateau Montalina from the fires. He was uh, wow. had a whole plan on how he was going to try and uh, <laughs> slow them down. Anyway, and yeah. Fortunately, there was no damage other than smoke. There was no damage to Chateau Montalina uh, or their homes. By the Thank way, God. But uh, anyway, so I got a chance to meet her during that trip and and so on and. Um, and then uh, since then, we've had a chance to get together, actually, uh, Bo and Heidi and, and Chelsea and Chelsea's husband and two children. We were all together for dinner at our house, and we've had a lot of fun with them. And they're just wonderful people. Yeah. Very, very down to earth. Not, quite a bit different than the movie would uh, portray. Oh, she told know, me it's the, like, you know, 5% real, 95% fictional. There, there's a lot of fictional stuff, yeah. yes. Uh, it was very funny in talking to Bo about uh, what parts are accurate and what parts are a little bit made up there's was, no boxing ring no 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 okay. boxing ring um what else were some of the stuff like that woman wasn't heidi it was some no random... no well definitely wasn't heidi um uh, it, and there wasn't really a, a female intern either that no. didn't exist so no anyway. but it's hollywood but still it's hollywood it was a fun movie it's a cute movie and um and it did it did draw attention to the great wines that Chateau Montalina has made and, and continues to make. So that was a good thing for them. Have you had uh, either Bo or Heidi's wines? Oh, yes, both. Who would you say um, Chelsea is more like stylistically with wine? You know, uh, that's people have asked me that question, and I have to be honest with you. She's, she's one on her own. Yeah. Um, uh, Heidi has a very unique style of, of winemaking, obviously very popular style because she, she wouldn't have done so many uh, fantastic wines and rated, got so many 100-point yeah. ratings. Um, but it's definitely a unique style uh, of winemaking. Um, uh, Bo is no longer the head winemaker at, at Chateau Montalina, but he, he still takes a pretty active hand in it. So And, I, and we, still, we still buy Chateau Montalina wines, uh, my wife and I. So we, we They're always consistent. We're very, very familiar with yeah. – both their, you know, their cabs or chardonnays and other wines that they make. Um, no, uh, Chelsea's uh, Chelsea's unique. It's it's like saying which, you know, have three artists, painter artists lined up, and you know which ones. They're all unique. They all have their own specific talent, and Chelsea comes out with uh, some different methods that that really, in my opinion, just make the wines fantastic. And and the, but they're definitely different than her parents. Yeah. Which ch- which daughter do you like better? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you mean of my two daughters? Yeah, I'm just kidding. Oh boy, that's yeah. That's we, that, we could be here for a while. <laughs> that's that's stepping on hot coals there. Right, uh, right. I you know it's it's funny. People say that about the wine. Which wine do I like the best out of the wines that we make? Oh God. And so of course I say, well, they're all like my children, you know. And um, yeah, I certainly have some some favorite ones over some other ones, but they all are my children, so I can't, yeah. you know. Uh, I hate that at wine tasting. Like, which is your favorite wine you're pouring? I'm like, well. I like all six of them. Like, well, which is your favorite? Like, well, <laughs> yeah. How can you compare a Sauvignon Blanc with a Cab, or, or you know, yeah. a, a, a Malbec with, with a Petit Syrah? Yeah, they're completely different grapes yeah. and wines and everything. So, but, yeah. But I which like one them. would you drink tonight? I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, then you have to think about who's making the wine because you know, I like you, I like Keenan, I like Laird, I like Monticello Corley, I like you know all the winemakers and and the owners. So it's like. Trying to pick which child I like better, but I'll tell you one thing: my wife, my daughter, would not push me off the hill. Yeah, the boys might, 
Yeah. yeah. One would have regret that my youngest would be like, ah, dad's gone. Yeah. No, uh, uh, I, I, I believe I have a very, very close yeah, relationship yeah. with my daughter. Yeah. So. so you bought the vineyard in 07. What is the, what are some of the things you've noticed? Cause Napa is changing. Let's be honest. Oh yes. I mean, yeah. it is changing rapidly. I heard there's going to be a, um, like an adult entertainment park or whatever, a brewery that they're talking about building in Napa, which is just going to kill. It, it's going to bring in a lot of people and money, but it's going to kill the whole feel of Napa. What What is the biggest thing you've noticed in the last maybe 15, 20, even 30, 40 years since you've gone to Napa? What, what are some of the stuff you're noticing kind of things? Well, if I was to put my finger on the thing that's the most disappointing to me is that the family wineries uh, are disappearing. Um, you know, the politicians will give you all reasons why they're disappearing, but the bottom line is it's money. Um, large uh, corporations are coming in and buying up family wineries, uh, uh, paying a huge amount of money. And uh, it's it's very difficult to turn that down, knowing it might take you 20 years to earn it, earn that kind of money by running the winery. Um, and people are just selling out. And I think that that's a shame. The, the large corporations that come in, um, I think many of them have good intentions, but it's really profit and bottom line they're looking at. And I don't think that most Well, they got to recoup their investment too, right? I mean, that's the big... Yeah. yeah. I don't think that they're really looking at um, the quality. I don't think they have the family, the, the, the certainly the family touch and, and the oversight that family wineries have. And that's certainly something that we, we pride ourselves on is that we're involved with every aspect mm-hmm. of the winemaking process. And uh, if it's not me personally, it's it's my son-in-law or my daughter or my wife. There's always a family member watching things that are going on and working with our winemaker, working with our vineyard management company, working with all the different aspects, and including even being here with you, working mm-hmm. with our distributors. Uh, um I, I just think that that that's the one disappointment in Napa is that many many of the family wineries are disappearing. Yeah, I mean Frank family Schaefer um, Heights Heights. I know I'm missing some others. <clears throat> Didn't Duckhorn Francis just go public? Ford Coppola. Oh, is that gone? Sold. Really? Yeah. How long ago? Quite recently. Quite recently. Really? Yeah. That's how I found out that uh, Francis Ford Coppola was nephew was Nicolas Cage. I had no clue. Then I saw uh, his last name's not really Cage, but um, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It is really sad. And by the way, I could add many, many more to that list. You're oh Raymond. I mean, we can go down the list. Elizabeth Spencer um, just sold. It. It. it, 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 I understand why. Again, but but it is it's sad to see that happening. Yeah. I, I really find that sad. The other thing is the the price of uh, part of also is the price of land in Napa has gotten to be so expensive. Um, you know when when I first started going to Napa back in the nineties, um, you could buy land for twenty five thousand dollars an acre vineyard land. Um, today, I would say probably the cheapest you're going to find out there is going to be three four hundred thousand an acre. That's the cheapest. Uh, it goes all the way up to a million dollars an acre um, for vineyards. No, 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 uh, no house on it. So, and you know how long how long it takes to get a house? Yeah, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. What does it's, it take? About four years? It's, it's terrible. Uh, we had a we had a guest house on that we had on the property, and it was 
knocked down by the 2013 earthquake. <clears throat> the uh, county of Napa said, oh, we're so sorry. We'll do everything we can to help you get it rebuilt <laughs> and everything. <laughs> took us three and a half years to get just a permit I know. to build the house back. So, yeah. But it, it's crazy to me that they continue to do this. I should get someone from the Napa County uh, board, you know, or the Napa County, you know, um, engineer or something like that on the podcast just to ask them. Might not make it out alive, but I'd get some yeah. good questions asked. It's amazing how they're almost deterring money in the county's pocket because, I mean, that's tax revenue and income and real estate values go up and that's more tax and what have you. I, I just, I, I've never understood it. Bureaucracies typically have a different mentality than uh, for-profit businesses. Yeah. Uh, you can always just raise taxes more, raise taxes more, and they're going to get paid. Yeah. Um, they don't always see that who's paying those taxes are the other businesses and, and people that live there that are working to yeah. earn the money. And unfortunately, it, it has really, really uh, shown its ugly head in Napa. They have a bloated bureaucracy of people that 90% of them don't do anything. Um, they, but to keep their jobs, they have to act like they're busy. And yeah. um, so that's what slows everything down. Yeah. So last question, then we're going to do a little bonus section here. So you obviously love Matera wines. You drink Matera yes. wines. What are some, what, other, some, what other wineries in Napa do you enjoy? Well, there are many. Yes. There are, I, I, I have to stress, <laughs> there are many. There, and we actually, yeah. I, as I started to say earlier, we we started in the business by going around doing wine tastings. So yeah. it's really hard to pin that down. Yeah. I will tell you that there are some small hidden gems out there that are fantastic. Taylor Family, not the, the Taylor wines from New York, but I'm talking Taylor Family, yeah. small winery in the Stags Leap region, awesome wines. Excellent experience, just just a great great yeah. time to go. Fortunati, uh, owned by uh, Gary Lucktell and his wife, uh, small winery, phenomenal wines, does a great job, great uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the uh, I have always liked Nickel and Nickel. Um, I like the wines that they make. If you like cabs, Nickel and Nickel is a great place to go for cabs. I could go on and on. Hen, the Hendry family. Yeah. Uh, George Hendry is yep. a, the older gentleman. is excellent. He's very knowledgeable, and they they produce some really great wines over there as well. That's why I really like the Zinfandels. Yeah, they make some very nice Zinfandels. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, anyway, that's pretty. That's good. enough. We'll stop I, there. I, yeah, yeah. You I'm not be shorting careful. anybody because yeah. I, I, you're in, you're in my thoughts. I just wouldn't get to you. <laughs> you're my thoughts but and Chris. Brian, thanks so much. You're going to stick with us. We're going to do a little bonus. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back uh, hopefully next week. If not, it'll be a couple weeks after that seems like the summer is always tough to pin people down um let's be honest i, I want to golf and sell wine and, and family and stuff like that but we'll be back and thanks for your support the patreon supporters and uh, keep following us and keep uncorking the lighter we'll keep uncorking the lighter sign the cork and taylor wine podcast <laughs> <laughs>